0: This is very personal work for me. Politics. I believe I was called to sex, tell my story, use my voice, be a voice for the community. To speak people, to and for a community of people the that's underdog, been ignored, denied, love, relationships, religion. This is my life's work. Religion. I want to use words to. Every Every heal, inspire, encourage, do something different. Every Monday at 10. Good day thinkers, thought leaders, progressives, and dreamers. I am Craig the Writer Stewart, and this is So Much to Say. We're discussing the School to Prison Pipeline. So I want to start by giving a quote, and I believe this is from the Georgia Public Broadcasting Network, their website. The School to Prison Pipeline an epidemic that is plaguing schools across the nation, far too often students are suspended, expelled, or even arrested for minor offenses that leave visits to the principal's office a thing of the past. Statistics reflect that these policies disproportionately target students of color and those with a history of abuse, neglect, poverty, or learning disabilities. It is difficult to pinpoint the exact reason for the school-to-prison pipeline Many attribute it to the zero-tolerance policies that took form after the 1999 Columbine high school massacre. Others blame educators, accusing them of pushing out students who score lower on standardized tests in order to improve the school's overall test scores. Today, I have two educators, Crystal, who is a school administrator here in Atlanta, and Miss Tiffany, who is an educator in the fifth-largest county in Georgia. I wanted to start with that quote because... I saw some information online where it spoke about standardized test grades from like third and fourth grade forecast the likelihood that kids will end up in the prison system. So as educators, what are the first things that you think about when you hear those quotes that I just read?
1: As a current teacher, we do not suspend that many children and they want your suspensions to be very, very low. So we do a lot of in-school suspensions, which is pretty much your ISS, um, lunch detention, stuff like that. I think my issue would be the special education. That, I think, would be the major factor in the prison pipeline because you have a lot of black and Latino boys that are in there in comparison on the public sector. I'm not familiar with private, so I can't speak on that, but you have a lot of boys. And special education is a total different beast because if you are in there and you don't test out because you're um reevaluate like every three years to see if you're still supposed to be in there, you'll end up graduating with a certificate of completion. You can't do anything with that.
0: So is that like the equivalent to like a GED?
1: No. It's equivalent to a certificate of attendance.
2: I think for me, and, you know, we're talking about students of color here um, in this conversation, Um, it goes back to like when I think about some of my most influential educators that I had, um, and the approach that they used with me relative to discipline, it was always loving firm. It was always mm-hmm. um, more of a nurturing approach before you skipped the principal's office and like went straight to jail, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when I, when I have to think about like these statistics, um, thinking about what the incarceration rates are. Uh, the number of expulsions across schools, you know, here in the state of Georgia or America for um, minority students, um, it's it's overwhelmingly high, but I also think about like the approach that folks are using, educators, um, people in the classroom, people in the walls of the schools are using with these students when it comes down to a discipline matter. And so how are we developing our leaders uh, to be more um, culturally responsive when dealing with discipline issues? How are we offering teacher development um, to learn how to have that conversation or deal with a student that, is, um, that has a disability or a student who is a part of the LGBT community um, before we um, expel them for acting out, if you were quote unquote acting mm-hmm. out um, or misbehaving? There are things that are going on with our students Um, Or scholars that we just don't sometimes educators don't understand, and it takes a certain amount of development and training to understand what um, some some of our like emotional learners or you Mm -hmm. know are going through before you go straight to throw them out.
0: Interestingly enough, I came across an article in the Atlanta Black Star in the in the byline or the headline of the article, it said, are white female teachers most to blame for pushing black children through the school-to-prison pipeline? The article went on to say, 80% of uh, public school teachers are white. The supermajority of them are female. The overwhelmingly numerical presence of white women teachers strongly indicates that they play an outsized role in the criminalization of black children. It went on to say, the idea that white supremacy is exclusively the paradigm of white males is false. Quote, "White women are not simply passive victims whose image was invoked in lynching rhetoric. They were consistent accomplices in the ritualistic lynchings of black males who were often tortured and killed for alleged transgressions against white women." According to the article, they demonstrate unconscious racism. They have expectations based on stereotypes that black students are volatile, girls are perceived precocious, loud, defiant, and that black girls are more likely than their white and Latina peers to be reprimanded for being unladylike.
1: They do not know how to talk to the black children. Mm-hmm. And so they might, and they'll get upset when you say something and the child reacts a certain way and they say something. And I don't know if it's coming because I, I am black. They'll get upset because you might say, hey, go sit down or something. And they might have said the same thing. And the child is looking at them because the child does not have respect for them. And it might be honestly because I'm a black woman. I'm raised by a black woman. And there's certain things that I know how to say to a child. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to come off offensive. And I'm very stern. You don't need to throw that child out because that's the first thing you don't do is throw a child out. Mm-hmm. You do not want to send a child to. That's your last resort is to send a child to the, to the administration because it says it's a lot of things that you have no control in your classroom. It really does. So like that is the last thing I do. But I think the, it's just the rapport, and I think that's why I prefer to be taught by an ethnic um, person because they just know how to speak to me. They really do. A lot of times they come. a lot of people come off a of very offensive to the children. I teach in a predominantly black school, so I think I haven't even taught a white child.
0: Well, interestingly enough, that same article uh, gave an example of the whole Emmett Till um, story. There's a connection between the disciplinary actions in schools and this pipeline to the prison system.
1: I think it has to do with administration backing up the teachers, because if you don't have them hand in hand, then you have the parents. It's just too much. And a lot of times... The administrators want to make the parent happy.
0: So, what kind of support do you get? What
1: what kind of support do
0: you get from the black parents, or Um, do you get the support that you need?
1: My school, but I have heard of teachers that have not given, have not been given support. That's why a lot of teachers leave because if you don't have an administration that has your back, you're not going to be successful at at that school. I should say.
2: Well, I, I would just say that I think. When you say have your back, that also means investing in our teachers to be, to have diversity training, investing in them to be immersed in the in the culture, mm-hmm. investing in the resources that they're required to read, um, maybe report on uh, doing professional, summer professional development. I do think that, you know, while, let me just say, in my organization, I've had numerous amount of white female teachers. That were amazing and influential mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. had and still have um, a tremendous impact on the scholars in my building. What I will say about those teachers is that they understand the culture. They uh, even live in the community in which our they serve. Yeah. They like listen to like our, the music right. that most of our children listen right. to. They, you know, go to the games that our students are participating in. They're big advocates uh, in a holistic uh, way for our scholars, and that makes the difference. You can see very clear though, the difference between like the relationship and the type of um, classroom management, if you will, and how mm-hmm. they discipline our students versus the teacher that comes in right when it's time to report and leaves right when the day is over.
0: It's interesting because I remember when I was in elementary school, I participated in a Johns Hopkins study. Johns Hopkins Hospital. Um, And it, 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 it lasted... It began when I was in elementary school. And I remember the last time that I actually had a conversation with them, I was probably a freshman in college. And they used to meet with us. I used to meet with one person from Johns Hopkins and they would come with like a packet of like questions and scantrons. And they would ask me a series of different questions. And it would happen like twice a year, like spring and then winter. And the questions they range ranged from, are there two parents in your household? Are you a latchkey kid? Do, when you come home, are you home by yourself? For how long are you home? Are you responsible for doing chores at home? Or do your parents do it? Do your parents help you with your homework? So what they were trying to understand is what they explained to us or to my parents at the time. They were trying to understand what made some children successful versus other children who would languish and end up in perhaps the prison system and i remember it followed us it followed me all the way through to the point that i was in college and i don't know how how many kids they spoke to per year and how many schools they worked with and what the results were but i always found it really interesting the types of questions because it was really socialization questions as well how do you get along in school with people do you make friends easily while all of this is true there's only so much that a parent can give you there's a fine line between what a parent can give you and what a child wants for himself because I have a sister and brother. My sister and brother, they're older. There's like a 14-year gap between us. Um, my sister was on drugs for many years, probably, probably about 20 years. I talk about it in my first book, Words Never Spoken. And my brother spent 23 years in jail. That was just one stint. But he was in and out of jail throughout his his high school and, you know, his teenage years. I will say that we do have a different father. They, they share the same father. So I think some of it can be genetics. But then they were raised in the same household that I was raised in. So my mom gave us the same sort of support. So again, there's a fine line between what a parent can give you and offer you and what you actually want for yourself.
2: And when you say child, Craig, what what are you talking about? You're talking about an 8-year-old or are you talking about
0: a 15-year-old? I think when, we, when we, we're talking more of like 15, once you get to that point where you start approaching those crossroads in life when you start making those major decisions because neither one of my siblings graduated high school. They both have GEDs. I'm the only one in my immediate family that has a college degree. And
2: where did they where did they take that turn?
0: And down. that's the question. That, that's right a now. really good I know my sister started using drugs probably around nineteen. Um, and my brother, again, I don't know.
2: I was asking because right now, so we're in hiring season. The way that our uh, candidates come through us is the the full interview process. They'll submit a resume and then do a video. One of the questions on our video says, what percentage of learning um, and development um, of a child belongs to the teacher Mm -hmm. or belongs to the child? I and that's even, the only question I go to. Yeah. If they say 50 no. I say no. If they no say thirty percent teacher, seventy percent child, no. They don't belong so to what me. are you looking for? I'm looking for one hundred percent. Yeah,
0: one hundred percent. The teacher's the way. Teacher. Yeah.
2: Because I feel I believe that you know we're looking at you know pre-K, K through middle school, our formative years. Right. And that the responsibility, the consistency, the perseverance, and the grit that an adult must have to impact and influence a child during the formative years mm-hmm. can change the trajectory of the child that. at that time. And I'm talking middle school. I go to eighth grade. That is really, I mean, I think, you know, when, you, when we're talking about like your siblings and like, you know, where did it turn for them? Yeah. You know, like there may have been indicators, but everybody still has a path and a fork in the road. Right. You could still like taste the drug and still
0: come out, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? and, and I think that what happens, because with both of them, I would venture to say that they took a turn, they went on, they got on this wayward it path, happened. junior high. But then you have to factor in different dynamics. Their father was in and out of prison, mm-hmm. my dad stepped in and raised them. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always a resistance when there's a new parent or a step parent that comes in to play. And that's um, a
2: statistic in itself the yeah. number of of children who are who have in, parents who are
1: incarcerated that go to prison.
0: Exactly. And
1: I disagree with the teacher being 100% responsible, and I'm just being honest. And you're speaking and from his, a and, teacher's and perspective. And teaching, oh, well, speaking from experience, I was putting a little boy in a car lane. The and where? Day, in a car lane, okay. walking them. I don't do car lane, but anyway, I was putting him in a car lane. And I get him, I'm walking them to the car. They're an expedition. There had to be at least 12 children in that car. There was no car seat they're all different families he's a foster child so there are a lot of elements that i cannot control i can do what i can do and it cuts off at two something i can go see you play little league on saturdays i can be involved somewhat but there is still a factor where i am not involved we had a child the other day that came in with bruises all the way down his back i i cut off at a certain time so, yes, I can influence you, and I could try to want you to want more, but sometimes there are things in that household that I can cannot... I'm, I'm saying
2: in the classroom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, okay. In the classroom, while you're yeah, in I'm front have you. of that child, yeah. you yeah. are 100% yeah. responsible, yeah. and it is our responsibility yeah, that as educators to... I agree with that. If a child comes with bruises, or if there are 12 car seats in the car, that we are 100% percent responsible for reporting that shit. Right. You know, for so saying, did, right? No, no, so, so, no, no, so, you know, I like reported, but my,
1: but my thing So you is, didn't report like when- No, I have the, to report, yeah. so I had to report it, but there's still a point where I have to let it go. You know, the counselor has to, I did the defects referral, the counselor has to look at the child and says, are mm-hmm. you afraid to go home? So she has to still, because her pay grade is higher than mine. She determines that factor if she puts that child on the bus or not. I don't. Mm-hmm. So from my understanding, they put them back on the bus. So I don't know if his parents got called, I don't know what happened. But my thing is, it is a lot of factors, and I totally understand why children go astray. And my whole point is, I try to um, stress to them that do not let your circumstances determine your outcome. Like, there is worse that has happened to people, and there's gonna always be worse, and you have to overcome. But I totally understand when I see children that don't make it. Their parents are honestly contributing to them not making it, unfortunately. Right, but I also think like if we if we're talking like
2: if we're talking children of color, we're talking about village. Yeah, and this is and I, this is not to say anything about your cutoff time, but I don't cut off at five fifteen. Mm-hmm. I don't cut off at two. There's no cutoff for me because this work is critical and it is important. And if I have to get up at 9 or 10 o'clock at night and answer a phone call from my 12th grade student who was with me in 5th grade that's having problems about going to college because her mama can't afford it or whatever the issue mm-hmm. is, I'm going to address it at, at, at that time of night or with, or whatever I need to do because we are a village and we have to take care of our children like they they all belong to us.
0: And I think what we're now talking about is a support system or lack thereof. In a, right. And in a lot of instances when there is no uh, support system… Mm-hmm a lot of these kids fall to the wayside and end up in the prison system. And so the prison system accounts for, there's a $70 billion industry, whether it's probation, whether it's incarceration, or what have you. They're
1: looking at test scores when they see those little boys that can't read on that test because our test scores are public record. It's like you can look up and see how much I make. You can look up and you'll see those GMAT scores. It's not going to have that child's name. It's going to have that score. And so they're going to look at it because... Are Prisons are private, so mm-hmm. they're going to say, okay, such such doesn't know how to read. Because honestly, the statistics show that if you can't read at third grade, you're already behind. And there are a lot of children that cannot read because I don't teach reading. I teach whole language. And so they're so forecasting
0: they're just, from those test results that... are
1: those scores because they're public knowledge and say, okay, we need a prison in this because Johnny's going to be 18, 16.
0: And, and they pretty much and determine... They, they determine. We
1: need one. Right.
0: Him. So then that's how they determine because, how many prisons to make, how many you prisons do to build.
1: But can't read. Why need can't they read. It's, and no, I, because they have taken phonics out. And I'm not teaching reading. And and my principal was like, Ms. Harris, you don't teach reading. You teach whole language. So What I'm is not, whole language? Look how we're talking right now. We're pick, we're adding words. I'm, we're going to read books. Blah, blah, blah. I'm not teaching you phonics. I'm not going over sounds with you. Because when you come to me, you should already know that. And According, according them, to them. According to them, I don't have time to go back over and teach you sounds, because that is something you should have already gotten.
0: Going back to what I was saying about the $70 billion a year that's spent in the prison industry, because it's not just a pipeline from the school system, it's also a pipeline from foster care system as well.
2: I think, Craig, when you go there, you're now speaking about like the larger societal issues. Right. Because your pipeline, it can be classroom, it can be school to prison pipeline, lot. it can be foster care to... To, uh, to, prison to prison pipeline, pipeline. Yeah. it can be Ralph David Abernathy yeah. Avenue southwest atlanta to prison pipeline. Yeah. you know what i mean yeah. because of other the you know elements of society mm-hmm. that are also um contributing to like an increase in violence mm-hmm. or um, behavior that will you know get you arrested and right. taken to jail
0: this is big business mm-hmm. Um, we've seen that with the documentary Thirteenth. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's on Netflix. Ava oh. DuVernay is absolutely yeah. genius. No, Thirteenth is a is a oh, documentary. Oh, oh. Oh, it's, called, okay. it's called It's called Thirteenth from Slavery to Prison, and it basically talks about how slaves were freed, but then they were arrested for petty crimes, loitering, and things like that. But they were given extended sen- sentences, and basically, it was a way to still get free labor out of these black people who were no longer slaves. It's absolutely genius. If you haven't seen it, you have to look at 13th on, on Netflix. But the other thing is, we, we saw it also in the Khalif Browder story. I don't know if you guys saw that. Guy was accused out of New York, out of Bronx, the Bronx, New York. He was accused of uh, robbing someone of a, a backpack that he actually didn't do. Um, he spent three years in prison. Ultimately, he committed suicide because they he had a $900 bail, and his p- family could not come up with it. But in this documentary, they basically showed the cycle of when you don't have the money for the bail, you go to a bail bondsman and you can pawn whatever it is that you need to pawn, and then you know you're indebted to them, and then you finally make the money you you pay your bail. Usually, by then, the person that's been arrested has taken a plea deal. It just shows. The whole cycle of this whole thing, all because it's rooted in money and making money. And now because people are on to this whole prison big business thing, they're now shifting it to an industry where they're making money off of the ankle devices, the ankle bracelets and things like that. So they talked about it in Queen Sugar as well, which is one of my favorite shows. Like One of the characters on there as a journalist and one of the storylines in the first season was... An article that this main character wrote about the prison system down in New Orleans and how they arrested this young boy, I think he was about 15, and they gave him this extended sentence. So it was basically about how to create uh, free labor because companies like Victoria's Secrets at one time and JCPenney's were hiring or or had prison workers manufacturing their products.
2: If we're talking about the pipeline and like where it's leading to and Uh like, you know, what are options for. For students who have been in an educational institute for me it starts in with the people that are in front of the students Which is mm-hmm. every day. yeah and so I just continue to take it back to the development the type of people that we're putting in front of our students understanding our communities and understanding culture um, and also like you know, and I think this is why I'm also an advocate for charter because, like, in some of our traditional schools, like you, teachers get in and, and you can't fire teachers
0: yeah. once they
2: get vetted in, tenure, in terms of charter schools. In t- no, in terms of our traditional schools, okay, yeah, it is very you, hard. You for can't to get fired fire Very you know. hard. It's very hard in a very you know hard. in charter environment or private school environment. Like you don't have to. We, there's no tenure in charter school. If the if the instructor is not working, if the if the instructor is not mission and vision aligned, if the instructor is instructor is not doing right by scholars, they have to get out of there. And so you you have now this cycle in some of our traditional school systems where you're just moving one bad teacher now to another school to go right. teach students in a different classroom. Right. Same teacher, different class, doing the same thing.
0: So why is it so difficult to get? Teachers out of traditional schools if they're not effective
2: uh, because
1: of their contracts because of the commitment to the contract and because is it of also tenure? They'll fire people according to test scores. And my thing is, I can't control. Like, I happen not to have that many children. I did produce. Well that was what one of the but, articles that's, was but saying. it's a lot of fact. Did not
2: belong in front of children because he was being oppressive and he was using language that did not uplift or you know encourage our students. And it was on. Um, it was a repetitive behavior uh-huh. and that individual did not deserve to be in front of students
0: students in general or do you mean black students or students i would in general? say
2: after my experience i would say students in general but okay. it definitely wasn't good for some of our uh students of color who come right. from homes
1: where that's what they're hearing all day right no i really think it's special education i think that's the problem that's the reason why these children are being labeled that should not always be labeled So maybe they might need to revamp the evaluation to get into special education, because a lot of time, and my thing is, I'm not talking about LD when that's learning disability. I'm not talking about AU when that's autism. I'm talking about behavior. A lot of these black children are being in there because their behavior.
0: But the thing is, I remember and we're when not my supposed to say that. I remember when my nephew was we'll offer you a check was young. To do it. He he was just one of those rambunctious kids that didn't always if stay. He, said hold he on. Okay. So they wanted to put him on Ritalin. ADHD. Right. ADHD. right. And my mother would. Not, my mom raised my nephews. Um, both of them. She would not allow it to happen. But I think, again, one of the things that she said was, you know, they're always trying to put these black kids on these they, on this exactly. medication. And that follows you for the rest of your life. And then once you become, I guess when you become, uh, when you start relying on the medication, you start to need it, then you can never come off of it. And then it leads to you getting on some other sort of medication. Yeah.
2: Who is doing the labeling and why? Right. Why are we Why are we labeling? Because... Thinking about what you said earlier, Craig, relative to the test that you took and it asked certain questions. Mm -hmm.
0: Johns Hopkins, yeah.
2: Yes. Like, those are, it depends on what you do with the data, but if you looked at it and you see that a student comes from a single family Mm -hmm. home, that they have three other siblings, they're the oldest, maybe they have some adult like responsibilities. My interactions, my empathy, and the way that I um, teach that scholar might be a little bit different mm-hmm. than a student who comes from did two, not have yeah. all of those you know things going on in their home. Right. You know, so but if I happen to act out or have a bad day or whatever because I'm fucking tired because I had to cook dinner for my siblings and then make sure everybody got on the bus in the morning because mama works an overnight shift. And now I come to class and I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. And somebody is like, you need to get tested. Yeah. We need to look at, you know. All of the factors at play. And then another
1: thing is with special education, those parents are getting checks. Now, the amount of checks that they're getting, the amount depends on the disability. So that's another factor. The government is giving checks when you are in special education. So, so you're saying on, that in some instances, you think times, a lot of
0: times the parents will allow yes. them to be labeled and that. to and the check get the might check? not
1: be that big, but when you come for your evaluation every three years to be like, okay, are you going to still be in this program? And the parent is like, we're getting maybe three, four, five hundred dollars a month because of you. I'm going to need you to say a certain thing on that evaluation because right. I need that money. So it's a lot of factors that I think that the public. That are, that are outside of education, have no idea that goes on in that school.
0: Okay, so let's go back to um, the prison pipeline. Because once these kids are in the prison system, it's hard, um, to get out. it's hard to get out, if they even get out. And so some of the factors have absolutely nothing to do with the school system. Um, I want to speak in particular to the whole mass incarceration that happened when President Clinton was in office. When you look at these documentaries that I mentioned before, whether it's 13th or uh, the Khalif Browder story, he didn't do anything, he was leaving a party. It was about one in the morning or something like it, 12 something at night. He was leaving the, the party in the Bronx and he was accused of stealing a backpack. He didn't do it, there was no evidence that he did it, but they charged him with this crime and he was in jail for three years. A lot of black men have been charged with minor offenses, or even if they're like petty drug offen- offenses, a lot of times they get stuck in the system because their family didn't have a minimal amount of money, whether it was $900, like in the case of Khalif Browder. His family just didn't co- couldn't come up with the $900 to get him out. So a lot of times these guys will cop a plea. But with the President Clinton administration, there was the three strike, you're out rule. So that created a whole generation of black men that entered prison and never got out of pr- prison. So there was a whole generation of men that just weren't even on the streets. He's apologized. President Clinton has apologized. I've seen him at NAACP meetings um, apologizing for that. He said that it was a wrong decision. But he hasn't really done, made any moves to reverse it or to try to change policy going forward. And I've been so conflicted with trying to figure out, because I, I think that Queen Sugar was, was a brilliant show. So is the Khalif Browder documentary and the 13th documentary. But now that these works are out and now that we know about them, what do you do now? Do, do we go to Capitol Hill and petition? And like, what, what is it that you do? Because in the case of President Clinton, I just personally feel that he has a lot of culpability and responsibility. And what he should do is create some sort of a foundation that will research cases that were severely punished. And somehow try to get those people pardoned.
2: I think it's important to like really ground ourselves in like what a movement is. Yeah. Continue to bring awareness. uh, Just as like, I don't think like I'm almost 40, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't think that I've seen as much like in my age, like awareness brought to like discrimination, um, Mm -hmm. inequalities in like policy, um, inequalities and disparities um, around like discipline and like the way that uh, decisions are cascaded down on our community. And I think that we need as a community co- to continue to do that, continue to impact um, policy. Yes, go to the capital, like local, national, mm-hmm. you know, go like make some noise around mm-hmm. these issues. And like, it's also know, important. That's the only way that it's going to change.
0: To vote in the Absolutely. local elections. A lot of times we come out for the national or federal uh, elections, and then we're completely absent for every other election. Right, like the sheriffs are important. It's important to be there for the sheriffs. It's important to be there for the judges. All of those things count. Going back to what you were saying, uh, Crystal, about a movement and being grounded in a movement, I think that a lot of people were really confused by this whole Black Lives Matter movement because it's not just the principles of civil liberties in terms of what was happening with the police departments and black people. It's a trickle-down effect. I was watching this conversation on YouTube, I'm a YouTube junkie, and it was Angela Davis and one of the Black Lives Matter organizers in the D.C. area. See, every region has their own chapter that's responsible, responsible for that region. And one of the things that I did not understand or did not know before watching that was that they haven't really named a leader, like a Malcolm X or a Martin Luther King or whomever. But that was strategic and that was deliberate because in every instance that there's been a movement in this country, the head has been assassinated. So they they strategically did not have a figurehead. Part of what we need to do is, again, we need to assemble and we need to really be deliberate about what we do with our dollars in terms of supporting different companies, supporting different corporations. Like... I when I learned that Chick-fil-A the the are company go that they were a um they, don't they were Trump supporters. And they don't, oh, they don't well, support I knew gay. that they were I knew they, I knew they, they had a problem with gay something. people. I gave them a pass on that one. Oh, okay,
1: because But like that then that when was I
0: just... Well, no, not so much <laughs> because I, I mean because I understand that they are a quote-unquote religious company you know, and I know
1: Sundays. they that's their breaks in Christianity.
0: Which that's a whole nother conversation because I don't think that being gay puts you on the wrong side with God, but that's another okay. conversation. But I gave them a pass for the whole gay thing, but when I found out that they and Uber were both Trump supporters, I stopped supporting both of them. But I've had so many conversations with black people, people that I know, that have said, oh, no, I'm a, I, I still got to eat the waffle fries, or I still need to or eat the chicken breast, or I, I need to get around, so I'm going to use Uber as if they're on other car services. My thing is, we have to make the kinds of sacrifices that we want, that we need to make, in order to get to the other side of it. And as I said to them, these people who are diehard Chick-fil-A supporters... If the people that came before us could not boycott or did not boycott the bus system, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have celebrated some of the victories that we've celebrated. And if they can walk miles to get to work and church and wherever else they had to go, surely you cannot eat Chick-fil-A. The Black Lives Matter movement is not just standing and marching because of police brutality. It is also about organizing. It's about Waking you up so that you can realize what you need to do in your personal life to make a change. Like I said, I don't even support companies anymore that I know are not for black people or people of color. It's about divesting. It's about, like Farrakhan did this whole campaign like last year where he was trying to get black people to not celebrate Christmas. Because for one, it's a pagan holiday. Let's start with that. Two, it was about pulling your resources out of the economy and crippling these companies. And then, mm-hmm. and then Money creating, exactly, and then creating impact. But when you have black folks talking about, oh, well, I still need to go to Chick-fil-A or I need to use Uber. Like, Uber hasn't been around that long, like, that you can't sacrifice Uber.
1: I think a lot of people don't realize, and I tell my students this all the time, they don't realize that it was a year.
0: Right. And that's and what, what I'm saying. So that's a year that of people bus. walking. A walking. In dress carpooling.
1: shoes. And We live in such a
2: culture where everything is so personalized and individualized, where you feel like you are operating in a in this silo, um, and that you are not connected to other people in your community. Mm-hmm. And when you have that, you don't. I don't feel like I can just like reach out, right? You know, to Miss to Miss Harris. Mm-hmm. And because I got my personalized iPhone, yeah. my personalized case. I got my personalized this. Mm-hmm. I can get on my personalized Instagram and my my Facebook, and my, and my, and my, Mm -hmm. and everything comes to me, like, so quick, microwave quick, Mm -hmm. that I am, just by that alone, like, disconnected from what I might actually need from my sister, like, Mm -hmm. or my brother, right? And And so, like, with a movement, though, you are reliant upon, like, the strength in numbers, and, like, bringing minds together, and hearts together, and... That is something that I mean I've seen it more recently like especially with the Black Lives Matter right. movement. But when we're talking about like the movement and bringing it, bringing bringing people together for a purpose, we have all of those things now in you know in today's in you know in time um, that are keeping us from feeling like we are really connected and that we don't exist. What is the agenda? The agenda
0: is to research the companies that you currently support and make sure that they support agendas that affect Black people, and they're not opposing things that affect Black people.
2: If we all, if just say we didn't use Uber for a day, and
0: that's what I'm saying, but it's about Chick
2: Fil A for a day, exactly, make a difference.
0: And that was what Farrakhan was trying to get. Black people to see and well, understand last Christmas. But, but the thing is, then you can't complain. You can't get on Facebook exactly. and Instagram and all these other places and these other mediums and complain about what's happening if you're not going to do your part. It's simple. If we divested, if we did not put our money into the economy during Christmas of 2016, that we would have shut this industry down. Mm-hmm. And they would have started to listen and, and and you would you would see a decline in the way that you see police officers shooting down black folks. And I read something the other day where um, a writer was saying, if they started taking these settlements that these the, that these black families are winning as a result of suing these police departments around the country, if they start taking those settlements out of their pension plans and their retirement funds, we would see a decline in these, in this in this killing. On a final note, like we've been denied in compensation, and we've been denied so much of what we bring to this society, to this world, um, we've been deleted from history, our accomplishments, our achievements, all in an in an effort to convince us that we are less than, that we're inferior. Um, it's it's all been deliberate. I mean, we just saw that recently with the Henrietta Lacks story. I don't know if you guys saw that on HBO. You know, they literally took this woman's cells, and it's it's. It's the cornerstone of every major medical breakthrough that we've seen in this, around the world, not just in this country, around the world. And they never told that woman's family, a black woman, she never got compensated. And, and the family is still living in poverty. I think they've created a foundation or something where a couple of the children or somebody sits on the board, but they've never really acknowledged who she is. But we see examples of that all the time. And so when I think about this whole um, school to prison in this pipeline, I think about my brother, the 23 years that he spent in jail. If you know anything about people that, that have been in prison or have relatives or whatever, the best artisans are in prison. I can't begin to tell you the Mother's Day cards that he had somebody make. If somebody had guided them and really harnessed that talent and sent them in the right way, can you just imagine like what they could have become?
2: As a child of an incarcerated prisoner of 14 years. Um, I would have to say that establishing a nurturing school culture, eliminating the disparities in the discipline processes, increasing teacher development, increasing parent engagement and community engagement are essential to addressing this issue.
0: Again, this is So Much to Say. I'm Craig the Writer-Stewart. Follow me on Instagram at Craig the Writer-Stewart. Follow the podcast at So Much to Say Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. This podcast was brought to you by Green to Clean Professional Carpet Cleaning Services. Visit them at g2clean.com.
2: It, but no, and but in Missouri you get less time than you get down south. It. It's not about the time. It's not about the policy. It's about the moral compass that we're trying to instill in these students and these children. Yeah. Period. To do the and, right thing. And I'm tri-
1: Yeah. And I'm trying. To, and my thing is, I'm I'm coming as a loving person because yeah, you're eight, you're seven, you have no idea what society is really looking at you like. They, you have no idea. But, but for me, it's, it's, it's more of
0: a conversation of... I'm
1: hoping that you get what I'm really saying when I'm talking to you as a child, right, which but, is very but it's, hard. But it's
0: also, it's also a conversation about black kids being charged with things. When I say charged, I don't I don't just mean in terms of criminal justice. Mm-hmm. I mean even in the schools of the being schools. punished for yeah. similar things that white kids do and they're not handled or dealt yeah. with mm-hmm. the see, same
1: see, way. Yeah, see, okay. So I'm from an and educator background. And that is the basis background. of the prison what, pipeline exactly. conversation. See, exactly. I'm, see, I'm right. from I'm from educator background. Both of my parents are educators. And they're like, you know what? Do not put that child, do not send that child to the principal's office because it says a lot about you. So I try to nip a lot of things in the butt. I've had children steal money off of me. Have I reported to the principal? No, because I just don't want to put you in that situation. I'd rather me and your parents talk. I talk to you because I want to stop you right then and there. I want to control now if it's a third, fourth offense, which has never happened to me, then yeah. But my first offense, I don't want to put you in the principal's office. I really don't. That's not because honestly it looks bad up on you.
2: It is really about how we respond. To what level mm-hmm. do we take it? How do we we use that as an opportunity to teach our students versus an opportunity to punish them and get them up out of school? Yeah, and that's that's my angle.
1: And I might be kind of off there, and I do a lot of, I guess, non-color stuff with my children because I'm coming from my mom, and I think she did a fantastic job, single mother, did all she could. But she would say crazy stuff to me. And now as an adult, I get it. So when I had the little boy steal some money off of me, and Demetrius knows this, and he's like, why you let them have such and such money? And I was like, because I trust them. And I'm, anyway, so I finally stole the money, so I go off on him. And I was like, if you steal, you'll kill. Da, 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 and he looked at me, but I was just like, you don't understand what that means, but I really want you to stop. Because I, I know what it means. And when someone told me that mess, when I lied to my mom at a certain age, I didn't get it. But as a grown person, I get it. So I try to have that motherly vibe within and that that flow with my children. I really do. Cause I 'cause I know where they come from. Like I had a kid like, oh, I can't pay for a field trip. I'm like, just just turn it just turn it for me and like don't worry about it. Because I know. Like everybody don't have it. Like it's not, you know. So I totally understand and that's why I choose to teach where I teach. Because I feel like I get more from it.
2: Yeah, I think it's important for us to address it in a way that does not um, feed into this pipeline. I think it's important mm-hmm. for us to be nurturing. I think it's important for you have to us as, as, you know, people of color to understand our scholars and not, and I think it's important for us to challenge the system which is why I'm not I don't work in a traditional school system which is why we went to the Department of Education and say hey this is how we want to do things because we think it'll be more effective right. and that we will outperform you and outdo everything that a traditional school does and we've been the number one school what middle bac- school what in Atlanta factors for do the do you last guys not
1: deal with that we deal years. with
2: because we made that
1: commitment to the state and to our families in the West End
2: what right. factors yeah. do you guys yeah. deal
1: with that the regular public school cuz I'm really not that familiar Wait, what? Like, what factors do you guys not deal with? What do you mean? Like, far as like our things that we have to do, like, what do you not do that a regular public school does?
2: Like, I'm just asking. Give me one thing.